Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome back to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. Ooh, I'm Drew Jordan, and uh, season three, well underway. Some great conversations happening, some good stuff happened with the Breaking Down Bits family and all the things, uh, the, the open feedback mic, uh, virtual feedback mic that we do. It's on fire. So many good comics hopping in there. Uh, the feedback is just like, the level of feedback is really upping. If you if you got some jokes and you want to get some uh, some feedback, some tags, some help writing, um, it's such a good crew. Hop in there. We do it almost every Tuesday. Uh, email us there at the bottom, breakingdownbits at gmail.com if you want to get in on that. Yeah, we're doing those Tuesday nights. We, we try to keep it just at an hour. We usually go just a few minutes over, but we run it tight. Uh, starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time, and we've been really consistent. So uh, nearly every week we've had that thing going on. So Drop us an email. Tell us which which show you want to get on, and, and we'll try to get you up. We love bringing in new people and bringing in new ideas, and those that's been a, a great part of my creative process doing those weekly feedback mics. Same. Uh, uh, also, if you haven't yet checked out some of the other episodes from season three, uh, breaking down bits is your access portal to everything that we do. Uh, our last episode with Adriana Appalucci was so much fun. Yeah, good time let's to get the callbacks. What do you got? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I, so here's a, it's kind of a complicated one and it's probably not as well formed as they typically are, but bear with me. Uh, so one thing that she does super well is take super relatable content. You know, she has jokes about, uh, you know, airplanes and, and kids getting lost and stuff like that. But her, uh, and so there might be a lot of jokes like that out there, but she has such an incredible way of making sure that her jokes are unique and from her personal angle. And I think that as a, as a younger writer, <clears throat> um, you want to write about relatable stuff, but sometimes your jokes can come off a little too generic and you just have to fight through, you know, like as they say, like the third way or whatever, like don't write the obvious joke. Don't even write the second good idea. Wait till you get that really unique angle. I think she does that well and um, just really enjoyed her uh, on that. And, uh, and also just her, her thoughts about, um, the culture, the PC culture that we're kind of in and how you have to write jokes for yourself um, that you think are funny, but also be aware there's an audience and try to bring them into that conversation, make it funny for them. So a lot of good um, and timely conversation in that episode. Yeah, that last part you just talked about, you know, the PC culture, that comes up a lot when I tell people that, you know, lay people, not, not crazy comedians that we hang out with, but people off the street. Uh, that I'm into comedy, they're like, man, it must be hard being the, the way that the, the culture is. And sure, it is uh, one of the things that I do to combat that is most of what I do is biographical. It's about me. And I'm, I'm the butt end of most of the jokes. And so yeah. you, you, you can't, you know, you can't come at me for making fun of myself. And so you can still get into some of those topics. But as long as it's, it's, it's really you being the butt end, then you can still play in those spaces. That's how I combat that. But my, my callback uh, from the episode uh, was 
the usually I get into some of the more of the business side of things as you're a better joke writer and maybe I'm a better business guy. I, I don't know. Maybe that's why we work well together. But uh, she, she had, had mentioned Ari Shafir really being influential in her career, uh, doing things like sharing her album on the podcast, bring her on, on tour and those types of things. So, you know, find that comic that you relate with. Don't be weird. Uh, but somebody, when they're when they're in your city, uh, if you have access to, to comics that are a little further ahead in your career, uh, go ahead and, and make sure you talk to them when it's appropriate to do so. Uh, maybe you hit it off and, and who knows, it could be the ones that can help you accelerate your career. But don't be weird about it. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. I'll just keep saying that. Uh, <laughs> Take away. Don't be weird. <laughs> yeah. But BreakItUpBits.com is where you can get the Adrian Appalucci episode. All of our episodes, we got a great catalog running uh, over 24 hours now of, of material to help comics that are in the game, wanting to get in the game, or just comedy enthusiasts. Uh, quick thing, Drew. I want to talk about a couple of dates we have coming up, and we'll bring in our guest. Uh, let's see, we have, uh, you and I now run a regular show in Houston. It's called The Riot. If you're in the Houston area, uh, February 27th, uh, tomorrow night, Saturday is our, our next one. And then March 13th, we're bringing in Breaking Down Bits guest Ian Lara will be here doing two shows with us at Rudyard's in Houston. And maybe I'm a little off schedule because the day before that, we are going to go meet Ian in Lafayette. We're going to be at not the best beer garden, but the worst beer garden on March 12th, Lafayette, working with Ian Lara. So that's going to be a, a fun Breaking Down Bits weekend. Come out here in one of those markets. little Breaking Down Bits road trip, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. All right. Anything else before we bring in our guests? Now let's do it. Let's fire it up. Willie Mack was the star of the hit BET show College Hill. He appeared on TV episodes and movies such as Hulu's Casual, True TV's Laugh Mob Laugh Tracks, CSI, Journeyman, and Meet the Spartans. His movie House Arrest has over 4 million views on YouTube. He's appeared in over 20 national commercials including Snapple, Kia, and was the face of Pump Water in New Zealand. Willie Mac now travels as a stand-up comic, and you can see him frequently at the Comedy Store and Laugh Factory in Hollywood. Willie Mac, how are you, man? Hey, what's good, peoples? How's it going? Uh, great. Uh, how are you? You know, I'm excited. I'm working on my camera. I know we talked a little bit earlier. So I, I, have, a, I have a dream car. I've had an 88 Camaro and an 84 Camaro. And uh, so I just bought myself a 92 Camaro and I'm like on YouTube trying to figure out the cheapest way of getting everything done. And sometimes cheap isn't better. I'm, I'm going to say this. Sometimes trying to save a couple of bucks because I'm looking at, I swear, when I look at YouTube, they just like they have a screwdriver and a monkey wrench and they like changing out the entire engine and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so not, I think not going that way. Huh? Nah, it's it's a lot more than that. So I, I'm having trouble even with my seats, like I told y'all. But it's it's fun. It's gonna be my project car, so I'm excited. That's excellent, awesome. man. You gotta take up hobbies. Well, well, the industry's uh, a little slower, I think. Take up hobbies outside of the industry. Yeah, because you're gonna lose your minds inside. Like I know for the first couple of months, because before qu quarantining and all of this, I was out. Uh, I was at a different comedy club or or like an open mic spot twice. And I, I'll be out from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. every day. So when it's like, you just gonna be stuck inside the house, I was like, all right, well, you know, it's only gonna be a few months. And then those few months turned into, it's like a year now. Yeah. So I had, I think I had to do something because I was losing my mind inside the house. That is kind of crazy how the, and, and it, it's also exciting to always hear 
people who are professional comics still grinding, still working, and how how much work and effort even people at your level are still putting in. But uh, yeah, it's it's maddening as uh, our schedules were so flipped upside down. Where are y'all located? We're in Houston. So y'all a little bit more opened up than we are. We got a little, yeah. we got some Republican stuff going on over here, <laughs> and uh, it's been good for opening businesses. <laughs> so and so, see, it's just worse for us in LA because all the businesses are shut down, and like prior to, like it just started reopening. Just like outdoor dining is now just a thing, maybe from like a month, like even like it's not even been a month. So it was like it was just extra up. They were shutting down. Like there would be like comics that would do like um, like secret open mics where at least we were outside and cops drive by. Like no, nah, y'all can't do this. Is like we're losing our sanity right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's I, I my my quick story is um, I quit. I left my bigger apartment uh, to get a small studio because I was never at home. I was literally yeah. working my full-time job, coming home, changing clothes, and going out to Mike's, and then coming home and sleeping. I was never here. And then as soon as I do that, the pandemic strikes, and I'm trapped in this 500-square-foot prison for a year. And I'm like, I, I need a door to close. I need something. I, don't <laughs> I did the opposite. So in May of last year, I moved to a I, – I was staying in like a 200, 250-square-foot studio by the back house. Yeah. And when the pandemic hit, they're like, yeah, this is going to be going on to like June, July. I was like, fuck that. I'm going to get a bigger place. Yeah. So I moved right by the Staples Center and I'm paying like quadruple of what I was paying then. Then it's like, I can't use none of the amenities. And I'm like, fuck, I wish I stayed in that smaller apartment. <laughs> well, if you want to come sleep on my couch, just let me know. I got a spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, got, we, we got those mics and shows every night, man. Come out to Houston. Uh, oh, really? And I'm not trying to rub that in your face. I, I, LA, man, I get it. I can feel the pain of y'all in LA. Newsom got that thing tight over there. And uh, it, it, it's, um, I think we're near the end. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> it feels uh, closer to the end in Houston than LA, probably, right? Now. Yeah. But I will say, quarantine made me more creative. Ah, so nice. a lot of the projects that I was putting off, I started writing on again. And a, a lot of the focuses that I was doing straight on stand-up, I am now able to put that towards something more creatively. Like I got my show. We actually start filming my HGTV show uh, next month. So I got the money that I made in comedy. I took home to St. Louis and bought real estate with HGTV in need of black people. Said, hey, let's do a show together. So I got my own home renovating show that I'm going to be doing in St. Louis. Or I just started writing a couple of scripts and they're being shopped around right now. I would not have done that if it wasn't for quarantine. Even though I was losing my mind inside, I was like, let me put that to some some use. Well, I, I love that. And I think Drew and I can agree with you. And we started this show in, in during this period as well. And I, I think it shows who are the real creatives, like who are the ones that are really in it out there creating stuff and and maybe who's who's in it for maybe the wrong reasons or, or maybe even lazy about being creative or whatever it is. Right. And uh, I, I applaud you for for one, getting that that show. Excited to see you, you putting that new home together on HGTV. My wife will be watching. That's that's her. That's her jam. Uh, I'll, I'll watch it with her. And uh and yeah, I mean, it's good. You got to keep that my creative mind going. You'll lose it, and it's too sad to lose that. You know, those creative juices when they're flowing. What did y'all do to stay creative? Like besides the podcast, were y'all doing anything? Yeah, I. I so um, when the when the pandemic hit, I bought a cam, my first camera, 
and because I wanted to create some YouTube content. And now, you know, like a year and a half in, I am like, I'm getting pretty good at sh I shoot photos. I shoot, I got a YouTube series called New to Drew. And I mm -hmm. go and I try things I've never done before. I've done surfing, wrestling, went to a farmer's market, tried CrossFit. <laughs> And I just like shoot it like some old like Conan O'Brien uh, sketch like he used to do when he would go out and try new yeah. stuff and just fail magnificently. I love it. Nice. That's, I, I love that. I'm really I'm loving photo and video. It's it's like a new passion. And it only kind of came about because of the pandemic. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Brian. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm producing a comedy show uh, that, that's really taken off. That when, it, when it first hit, man, I was doing it with uh, with a live stream. You know, so people could watch it at home and we do limited capacity. That just ended up being way too much work. But uh, I'm still super invested in the show. In fact, Drew helps me run it. We've been selling them out, at, you know, at limited capacity every every other Saturday night at a venue here. And uh, so I put a lot of energy into that over the break. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's been so long since I've been at a venue. Like, I've been doing a lot <laughs> of home shows, which yeah. I did not like at first. But then I ended up, you know, kind of, I kind of, you, you adjust. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, to be at an actual venue with an actual audience, man, it, it almost sounds like something that's in the museums or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we do that. We do a Zoom show as a part of our, uh, our. So every Tuesday night, we bring together fans of the show and we all work on our comedy. It's kind of like a workshop thing. There's no audience there. Uh, yeah. that, that's great. I'm not going to change that. After the pandemic, it's become a part of my creative process now for writing. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. I, yeah. I, the thing about it that I liked was that you're able to travel without leaving your room. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was able to do shows in New York and Texas. I did shows. Like, yeah, yeah, anyway, all, all over. And I'm like, right here. I'm like, this is actually not too bad. Yeah, we've, with the breaking down bits thing, it's been so crazy because now we're <laughs> getting to like write comedy and workshop stuff with people from Taiwan and Russia and England. And um, it gives you a broader sense. And as Brian always puts it, when you're in your workshopping in your local scene can be kind of weird. There's some competitive kind of vibes. Yeah. And when you're workshopping with someone who lives on the other side of the world or other side of the country, it kind of diffuses that. And you're just happy to uh, help them with their success. I love that. That's the exactly the right mentality. I was actually having a conversation with uh, – <laughs> So interesting story. So I was at the comedy store. Have y'all ever been here and been to the comedy store? I haven't. We did La Jolla, uh, but never, okay. but never the 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 real one. I'm coming. Once y'all open up, I'm there. I can't wait. Yeah, well, I'm there all the time, so you can come hang with me. So there was one time I was putting together a show with a comedian named uh, Ryan Taylor, and um, our shows, we've been planning this show for a whole month. We've been promoting it. We've been begging folks to come. An hour before our show, we get a call from the comedy store. Uh, it was like, hey, y'all's night is canceled. Dave Chappelle is showing up. Uh, we're like, what? So we're at the comedy store just like defeated. I'm in the back. There's a back part of the comedy store and there's this VIP like bar area. So I'm in the back. Everybody's like, hey, Willie, you want to smoke, man? I was like, nah, I ain't smoking, man. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm chilling. And uh, I'm talking the most shit about that. I'm like, this is the second time Dave Chappelle has canceled one of my shows. <laughs> so the manager of the comedy store is like, hey, Willie, let's go in to get, get you a drink. So I'm sitting in the VIP room with me, my boy, Pap, and his uh, girl. And Pap Johnson is a comedian, too. And so we're drinking and talking. And I'm like, man, fuck, man. Richie. 
And then in walks Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I fan girl clean the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is, I'm getting to a point in this story. So Dan obviously comes with his entourage, but his entourage was like Norm McDonald and like the Tony Hinchcliffe. Was, it's just like, and it was like all these other David Spade and Chris Rock. I'm over here like, oh shit, in this VIP room. I'm like, I felt like I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> and Dave was like, hey, young, young, whatever he called me. He's like, you want to hit this blunt? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My boy looking at me was like, dude, you've been turning down weed all night. And then Dave Chappelle, I'm like, Dave Chappelle offers you smoke. <laughs> so I'm there. And there's, I don't know if y'all know a comedian named Guy Tory. Guy Tory. Um, oh, uh, old old school comedian, uh, you know, one one of Dave's be- be- really good friends in stand up, and so he was like, you know what's wrong with you young folks? And now I'm getting I'm getting super high. Like Dave doesn't have regular weed. Like yeah. I thought I, I thought I smoked weed, but no, nah, this was <laughs> it was one hit. And I'm over here like this, trying to stay a fo- like a stay up. <laughs> leaning. I was like, "Oh my goodness, I ain't ever been this high before a day in my life." So while guy is talking to me, he's dropping nuggets, but I couldn't stay focused all the way. And, and but the two things that I took from him was he was like, "A lot of you young comedians are in so much competition with each other. Y'all are too scared to help each other out, and y'all will never grow from there. It's just a bunch of crap in the barrels." He's like, "Like the reason why all of us in this room are right here is because when we was working together, we would always help each other like workshop." jokes and we we were there was never a competition we had such a camaraderie that's why you see the adam sandler movies have the same cast a lot of these people have just eddie murphy and his movies have the same cast they just kept that together a lot of the younger ones it's like we're all we're all over the place it's like there's not i mean yes there are gonna be people that are successful that way but so then the second thing that he dropped on me that was a little nugget he was like and y'all doing a lot of these instagram sketches I was like, yeah, you know, some of them get like 500,000 million views. He's like, y'all stupid. (laughs) He was like, why don't y'all write one or two of those sketches, put it together, and then put them in the film festival circuit. He's like, it's cool that you're getting these sketches and these views, and then, you know, eventually maybe one day you keep this successful and you'll take off. But if you put it in the film festival circuit and get those laurels, those official he's like make it a short film and be like and because all you're going to get is official selection to the los angeles film festival the official selection and it's like so then people start seeing you as a writer the conversation becomes different and that's how you end up getting some of these writing jobs and blah 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 blah, and get meetings that way so those are two nuggets before i said hey man i'm gonna go use the bathroom and i went to Lay down outside on the comedy store and, and met Dave Chappelle's whole set. No, well, I'm glad you got those. Are some great nuggets, by the way. I mean, the, the first one we we we, we kind of already hit on, which is just work with you know, workshop with people that and 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 make sure you're doing that somewhere. I mean, you know, find a way, and we found a safe place that works for us, but find that place to to workshop and grow together, work together. Yeah. Uh, that's huge. And then the 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 second one about creating uh, and becoming a writer. I mean, that's that's awesome. That's a really good path. I mean, everybody's like everybody knows everybody who's been on the show 
mostly traditional pure a lot of pure stand-ups are like oh shit i should have been doing more of that video work and now they're doing it to catch up but you're taking it to another level and and really if you really want to write and you really want to get those gigs like this is this is a path forward and that, that's great and drew hope you're listening that that seems like something kind of your attention so I actually um, joined a meetup group here in Houston for uh, filmmakers. And one of the things that they do is um, once, once every season, they shoot a short film and, mm. and they, and they let you pitch scripts. So I was like, Ooh, I need to write a script and pitch it because if, if I pitch it to this group, now I have a crew of talented film and video type people and actors that might come together and make my script come to life. And like, what a cool process to be a part of. And I, I'm really, like I said, I'm nerding out on photo and video and it's been such a, um, an interesting thing because I I'm almost finding that I love creating on YouTube as much as I love being on stage and they're not, they're not competing. I just love, I love doing both. And, um, I'm learning kind of some, somehow some weird way they're really working together. Nice. Uh, I got into that. Like, if you go to, I have an Instagram for my photography, Willie Mac Photography on Instagram. Okay. And because that was something that I wanted to do, kind of, I just had, I had this creative urge and I was like going downtown taking pictures of graffiti walls. And yeah. it was like, yeah. So, it's fun, man. I, I love doing photo. Actually, I'm picking up some gigs around town just like with different bars. I'm shooting some of their social media stuff, covering cool. their events. And, just networking and guess what you know as i'm meeting with these venues these bar venues now i have an end to be like hey can we put a show at your venue can we connect on this and it's just like i'm a ter- brian is like the best networker i've ever met i'm terrible at it but this is helping me um network and get on shows and be a be a benefit to the community um right. I, can, I can always give i can bring some pretty great photos for people so yeah those those accessory kind of talents and abilities you got to use them as a part of your standup, as a part of your brand, for sure. Mm-hmm. Great. So, so you've had an interesting, but real quick, because we, we just got into talking, man. Usually yeah. we're, we're, we're like, on for like, hey, tell us your story. But this, this is actually, I think, better, honestly. But I, I do want to get a little bit in your story, because you obviously, now we know you do photography. I didn't even know that. But you, you've done stuff in film. You've done some writing. Uh, walk us through, I guess, the evolution of your career. And, and what's best is if you, a lot of, it's a lot of newer comics. I mean, this is comics at any level, but newer comics are people thinking to get into comedy. If you think about that as the audience, uh, where did you get your first big breaks? Those types of things are really usually beneficial and helpful. Huh, my journey into comedy and all of this is very different. I came out, I'm originally from St. Louis. Okay. And uh, I came to California chasing a girl. Ah, yeah, I didn't want anything to do with this industry. I was going to go to school. Going to college was how I was able to pay my way to like stay out here. So I, I yeah, I went to college at a school that lost its accreditation while I was in it. Uh, American Intercontinental University found out that they were scamming all the students out of their money and yeah, whole mess. And I still got to pay that shit back. Anyway, so while I'm out here, I needed money. And I'm like, how does how do people make money out here? And I found out about background work, the people that walk behind, you know, uh, in movies and stuff, just audience work. And so one of the one of the uh, shows that I worked on was uh, the Bernie Mac show. Like I said, I'm only doing this for money. And so it was supposed to be one day's worth of work, but Bernie Mac was sick at this time, so that one day turned into a six day gig. 
And so I'm there, and Kalita Smith, who played Bernie Mac's wife on the Bernie Mac show, she's like, I used to have this really big afro. I don't know if y'all ever feel like why y'all go- look listening right now. If y'all Google old Willie Mac, his fro was just like humongous. <laughs> and so um, well, I'm actually going to show you all a picture <laughs> while I'm talking about it. For so the y'all record, can- this is on YouTube as well. If you're listening, you can you can get the visual there. <laughs> oh, it's on YouTube. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so she says to me, she was like, where are you from? You look like you're country. And, uh, okay, here's my... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Powerful. Young Willie. There we go. <laughs> and so she's like, no, one, well, no one's out here in California with just a big-ass Afro. <laughs> and while I was like, oh, I'm from St. Louis, and she was like, oh, my assistant's from St. Louis. So she brings her assistant. Her assistant is like, we find out we went to the same school, we know the same teachers and all this, but she's older than me. And so in walks Bernie Mac, and he's like, Who's this melted milk dud y'all talking to? (laughs) (laughs) And this was probably like day two or day three in. And every day that I saw him, he was just one of the coolest people that I met. He was just like, it was up, milk dud. Like that was like, (laughs) and I was like, because if you know anything about being on set or being around like these a lot of stars, they, they're not talking to barely their own cast members or they're not talking to like the guest star and co-star role. So for you to just talk to the person that's just walking behind and just seeing to have that relationship really like uh, was mine, my opening for me. And I said, whatever it is this man does, I want to be him. Like, I knew what a comic was, but I never really delved into comedy. And Like, I watched a couple of, I remember, like, one of the first stand-ups that I watched was old Russell Peters in uh, Toronto. And I always had an admiration for comedy, but I never really understood the power that was behind comedy. About how old are you at this point? How old are you in, in your process at this point? This was 2005. Okay. Yeah, it was 2000, like 2004, 2005 when this happened. And so uh, I started doing a little background work. I got a couple of little weird lines and some weird independent projects. And then I ended up doing this thing on Craigslist called So You Want to Date My Sister. It never aired. And the producer <laughs> for that was the executive producer for this other show that was on BET. And uh, he was like, man, you're a funny dude. You ever tried to... Really act. I was like, nah, man, it ain't, that ain't really me. I was, I was out here because what I was going to do before I found out the school was a scam. I was gonna go to school to be a lawyer, so I was gonna go to Western University, and that, that was gonna be my thing, business law. And so uh, he says, you should really try to maybe focus on TV. I was like, all right, look, what you thinking? He's like, I'm doing a show, BT called College Hill, and I was like, he's like, if you can make my sister laugh, you're pretty much an end for the show. His sister was Tracy Edmonds, who was about to marry Eddie Murphy at the time. And uh, Eddie, uh, long, long story short, Eddie stood her up at the at the, at, at the altar because he didn't want to marry her. But, so uh, she had this show called College Hill. <laughs> yeah, that's, like that's turning into an episode of TMZ right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if they know that, but yeah, I, I just knew because I knew the family. They do anyway. now. Huh? 
I said they do now. Big fans of breaking yeah. down that. Song. Yeah, this is this is gonna be a highlighted clip. Y'all gonna pay for y'all gonna clip this piece out and then yeah. motion just for that clip right there. Coming up, coming America Two's coming out. This this will play. It'll work. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, end up making a lab and joking around, and so I became one of the uh, castmates for this show. And so my here's how I got into stand up. So after the show, they were like, Willie, you're funny, so we're gonna have you do most of the radio interviews. So I'm on, I'm doing the interviews. Like I was on the Steve Harvey morning show. I was like, if there was an interview radio show, I was on it. Mm-hmm. And um, so what they do with a lot of these shows is they give them the season up front, even before the season starts. So we can have conversations like, oh, we saw an episode four that this is about to happen. And it's like, oh, yeah. So I, one of the questions or comments that I got a lot was, you're a really funny dude on that show. Tell us a joke. I was like, what? First of all, every comic, no matter how seasoned you are, at hates when someone says, "Can you tell me a joke?" Like, die. <laughs> and uh, I got asked this so much, I decided to write my very first joke. So uh, my very first joke I've ever written that I've ever told was, "I'm still new to Los Angeles, so but since I've been out here, I was shot at three times. My car was broken into, and my place got robbed. So I got that taken care of, and I broke up with that girl." Like that's the, that's my very first joke I ever wrote, and then uh, I tell that joke. They're like, "Tell us more," and I was like, "What the fuck? You greedy bastards!" Like, so I started doing stand up because people kept asking me that, and that started in like two thousand and eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Wow. Yeah, two thousand eight, and so then. I stopped doing stand-up from 2011 to 2014 because this shit was hard and I hated it. I hated <laughs> sitting here trying to, I hated the work. I hated that you just go up every night and try to make people laugh. It was very, LA's a showcase city, so people are real clicky here. But the reason that I was, I didn't find as much trouble getting along with people. I don't even want to say getting along, making acquaintances was because one, I was on TV. Everybody wants to be cool with the person that's on TV. And then two, it was just like, uh, yeah, two, I was still on TV. So uh, <laughs> but I didn't want to put in the work that came along with it, where they was like, hey, we're going to do three mics tonight. Then we're going to go to the Laugh Factory and hang out. I'm like, oh, we, y'all going up at the Laugh Factory? And I'm like, no, you just go up there and hang out. I'm like, you just go hang out. I was like, and this was, and th- at this time, my, my little circle, Oh, the other thing that helped me out a lot was I was really good at basketball. And uh, when they found that out, there was a comedy league, there was a basketball Uh, comedy league. uh, And so I was like, my team has a lot of big names now, like who all played on the, on, on, in this league and on my team, Brent Morin, Rick Glassman, Lamorne Morris, Adam Devine, Ari Shafir, uh, a lot of short, I feel like a lot of short people. I have like Brett and, and uh, Adam Devine, aren't they shorter? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> complete, they're, they're best friends, but the complete opposite basketball-wise. Like, Adam, every time we th- gave him the ball, we knew that shit was going over the backboard. He never <laughs> never hit rim. Never hit rim. <laughs> Brett Morin, though, was a nice three-point shooter. And apparently, I, I mean, not apparently, I found out later, Brent played AAU basketball. Uh, like, he was really good. And Shafir, then, Shafir good? He's t- isn't he taller? Now, Ari Shafir is 
He's def- he is taller, and that's why people play with him. He's very aggressive. He's tall. Okay, that, that he's, not, he's not a basketball, a traditional basketball player. He's not the first person you're picking up. The only, only reason he's the first person you're picking up right now is because he's Ari Shafir. Other than mm-hmm. that, he's like, fuck, we'll just play four on five. And he's like, I'm right here. It's like, no, nah, we cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, wait, so in that league, if it comes down to the last second, you got to make that shot. Was it you? Is that where? No, you, is that where it's, no? it's fun. It's, it was either Brent or this other person on our team. Rick Glassman played basketball. You know Rick Glassman? Uh-huh. Uh, sure oh, Rick Glassman, another comedian. They was on him and Rick, Brent Warren are like best friends. Okay. So, uh, yeah. If it was like a low post thing, it was me because I could jump really high. Like I was dunking on everybody and yeah. And uh, so I quit comedy, but I still played in that basketball league. So that kind of kept me similar, like somewhat relevant. But as I was, as I quit from 2011 to 2014, I became a TV editor. Like I I was editing TV shows. And I was like, maybe this is just my calling. I was making decent money and, uh, you know, I was growing in the community. And so I was like, yeah. But as I was doing it, you just saw Bryn Moran gets his own Netflix and T. I'm like, well, I remember help, don't helping him with when he was doing these. Or Ari's, Ari got him a show. Uh, what was that one on Comedy Central? But they, that took a long time for them to finally make happen. Um, and I just, like I said, I saw everybody that I was starting off with start to just blow up and not just a little bit but like a lot mm-hmm. um so but I'm, I'm but i'm an editor i'm making my i'm doing my work and i was like i hate this shit yo <laughs> and I was like, what did i do wrong in stand-up and here's where i went wrong i was and when i was first starting in stand-up those three years that i was doing it i was for i i was going off the fact that i was funny on this show just this goofy person and i was just forcing laughs and in a real audience, nobody was like, it worked on TV being like, hey, what's up? Yeah, you know, all that craziness. And it never translated to stage. And I didn't realize that until I started taking, reading books and uh, like a couple comedy books. Like, yeah. And uh, it was Judy Carter and just how. Yeah, always Judy Carter. Always Judy Carter. Judy Carter too? Joke Bible, man. Everybody, everybody says Judy Carter. Yeah, gotta do it. Gotta do it. So I ended up getting like multiple of those books. I was listening to audio books on how to be a better writer, and I realized that uh, I had to really connect with the audience more. And when you connect with them, no matter what you have to say, they're gonna be on board with you all the way. Because I used to always look at like a Dave Chappelle. I say, for example, he'll go on stage and be like. Look at you motherfuckers. And everybody would laugh. And I'm like, that's not even written funny. Like, how do you make people laugh just based off of saying, look at you motherfuckers? <laughs> and so, and, but it was his presence that or that confidence that he has. And I was like, oh. So then I started rewriting my jokes to, to build like a personal connection with folks. And then you can get away with talking about stuff. Like I talk about now, I used to give my son Z-Quill. If anybody, if you heard a parent say that, you'd be like, you tried to kill your kid. (laughs) We need to support you. But because I say it on stage and I say it with like a, I play, I play the, I play, I play the victim. Like, how did I know? I was 16 when I had a kid. I I, I didn't know. All I knew was that Z-Quill put you to sleep. I didn't know I was giving my son scissor and like whatever. (laughs) 
I'm like, did I need to put the coding in it? No, but uh, <laughs> so we, so now I get people to laugh at that because they're like, oh, he's so dumb. This fucked up versus that is shame. So I started really working my jokes like that. And it just kind of changed everything in my writing and just whatever. That's such a good point. God, such a good point. So many people, there's some people in town that I'm like, how are they getting laughs? They're not even, they're not even punchlines in there. But it's, <laughs> it's something about the connectivity and the way that you address the crowd. When you, when you, yeah, when you make that connection, you just being yourself gets the laugh. It's so crazy. When I, I respect comics who can do that, but it blows my mind when you see it happening. You're like, that's not even a, that's not even a joke. How's that happening? Yeah. You can go on stage and not say nothing. Like so, sometimes I went on, I've gone on stage purposely. I, I, I will craft it this way. Uh, like I, 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 even in my intros, I write my jokes. Like uh, he's, if I know that I'm the only black person on the show, I'm like, they're like, what do you want us to say? I'm like, say that he's here for affirmative action reasons. And I, you know, I, or I tell the DJ, I'm like, like what do you want to go up to? You know, everybody got a song they go up to. I go up to Beethoven's Fifth. And I'm on stage like, and I, and I do this for like a few seconds. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And then everybody just starts laughing off that. Or I'll go on stage. I just One time I'll just look at everybody in the audience. <sighs> just me doing that side is like, oh, <laughs> uh, he's—it's either uh, he's had a hell of a day, or here we go again. And as soon as I do that, people uh, like, all right, let's see what he got to say. And they're there versus like, all right, next comic, make me laugh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, yeah. So then I kind of saw that, or I don't have that full or in that full confidence yet, but it's it's, it's getting there. That's stuff that some comics don't think about, you know, getting that laugh before you even say the first word into the microphone. Like what a, that's smart. You should create opportunities like that for yourself. Mm -hmm. You see like, you know, people like uh, Brody Stevens and stuff would come out and dance and, and do music for like the first (laughs) several minutes just to like show that he's fun and you can't not love that person that we have a local comic will come out and kind of, she's a very attractive woman and she'll come out and kind of dance and kind of get the crowd into it for a moment and it just draws people in, and and they yep. she, she owns the crowd before she says the first joke. Yeah, and that's what it's definitely something you want to do. Or I or my first words depend on the audience. This is like a lot of white people in the audience. I'm like, ah, what's up, whites? And they like they, they like, oh shit. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, if you can get the, I try to figure out my best strategy of getting that first laugh within the first 15 seconds or how I can connect with them at least in that first 15 seconds. That's a, you know, watching a lot of the pros on our show here in Houston, uh, you know, they usually they're, they're, they're scanning the room and they've got either a person or a group of people that they're ready to get into. They, they've done that work. Uh, and I, I think the lesson here based on what you just said is, is when you, the moment that your name is called, when that, when that's, when that host finishes, that's your time. All that time is it's time for you to make that connection with the audience to make that first laugh. And it doesn't always have to be verbally, but then you also your first words are important. Uh, this is critical. So and then the jokes, you, you, you know, you, you went back and I guess fell, fell in love with com- stand up comedy again. So like, oh, shit, I actually got to write jokes. And then and then now these jokes are working and you started, I guess you, you enjoyed that process of writing. Uh, 
this is a good good transition actually for us to get into writing. Uh, what, what we do with all of our guests is how do does Willie Mac write comedy? Open ended. So I, the way that I write comedy is is my 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 standup is very based on my life, and um. So I, I take from what's going on and I figure out in an improv class, uh, you see, I went to UCB and, they're, and they're, what they teach there is if this is true, then what else? Mm -hmm. Meaning like if you can make someone believe this, you can make them believe this. And even if, you, even if, even if it's ex an exaggerated, a bunny is in space. If that's true, then what is this bunny doing in space? This bunny is in space uh, building a society for bunnies on Earth so they can have a place to stay. If that's true, then what else is true? So then there's this bunny king that's also like, so I build my stand-up based on like, if I can get them to, this is true, then, you know, let's say this. So I, I find stuff, in, for example, uh, one of the bits that I'm working on uh, now is I talk about my son. I talk about my son a lot. He's because he's in front of me. He's young. We don't have a we don't have a traditional father son relationship. For example, my son, uh, when he like I I, I joke about like him calling me dad is as if my name is dad versus like the father figure. Like he snuck in with this girl and she freaked out. She said, oh my god, your father's here. And he's like, where? Oh, he's like, no, that's his dad. He's cool. Like. like <laughs> So if that's true, then I'm like, when, where, where are the other times that that could possibly be true? Like, I, I'll say, like, my son sucks at sports. I ask him all the time, where's his father at? Like, you know, I'm like, okay, if that's true, then what else? Like, you know, I, I just build off that. So I sit around and then I will even sometimes diagram ideas. Like, I will, like, son, and I write everything about him. I'm like, had him at as a teenager, uh, I knocked up a lesbian. He's six three. He's he's a gamer, but he sucks at games. He but he doesn't like sports because he's think. And I write everything about him, and then I try to figure out what do I want to even compare him to. What do I, what am, a question that I ask myself, and I ask other comedians, and it, it comes off a little mean sometimes. Is why is this funny? Why would someone laugh at this? Not why would you laugh at this? I get it. It's a, you, you wrote it. This, this is golden. But why would? Why am I laughing at your joke? I mean, you say, and then I said, I peed on the toilet seat. I'm like, why would I want to laugh at that? Why would? <laughs> why would I want? Why do I care about this fucking story? Unless I find out that you built up this whole truth system over here of like, because come to find out, when you piss on the toilet seat. The laser beam shoot. I don't know. Something stupid. But it's like, why would I want to laugh? So, then, so as I'm writing about my son and me having him at a teenager, I'm like, oh, I know why people will laugh at this because they would want to know how would you raise a teen? If what was it like raising a teenager as a as a kid? Like how 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 I was a baby raising a baby essentially. So I'm like, what are some stories that happen that if I told people now, they would be like, what? And I was like, oh, I remember I used to put Z-Quill in my son's orange juice. Or I, I, when he got upset, he used to threaten to run away from home all the time. Like when he was like 18, he was like, I, I hate you all. I'm running away from home. And then I'm like, if I, if, I tell, if I say that, what's funny about that? 
oh, I know what's funny about him possibly running away from home. Maybe I don't have to pay child support on those days. Is that something I can bring to the court? Like, look, he was gone from pay to day. So the 500, is that really for, like, people were like, oh, my God, did he really just try to figure out how to negotiate that? So I, I, I'm like, okay, if, I, if they believe so, so far I'm on two levels of this. I'm like, how do I raise a kid, kid young? I mean, negotiating my child support payment if he is to run away. And then um, I come to find out that he's now 18, which we all believe that you stop paying child support at 18. Like every, that's the magical number for every single father. It's like, ah, 18, no more child support. But if they go to college, you got to pay child support till they're 21. So I'm over here telling my son, look, Mark Zuckerberg didn't go to school. <laughs> Don't you want to be Pie? Look, I'll buy you a dope ass gaming system. <laughs> so how fucking of a father are you that you're now sitting here telling your son not to go to college? And he's like, but dad, I want to be a doctor. Fuck a doctor. That's Malcolm. <laughs> like Dr. J ain't a real doctor. Just call yourself doctors. <laughs> I love it that you refer to it as levels because that's how you kill, man. You but you level, you keep leveling it up and you keep the laughter coming. And, and that's what you did there when you when you constructed that joke from us. And I just wanted to share with you one quick thing from last night. So that if this is true, then what else? I actually gave a comic last night that note. I didn't I didn't call it like that. You call it way more eloquently than I ever could. But I, I basically said, if that's true, what else? He had a, a scenario where he's like, what if you're what if you, you, you're 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 white and you have to ensure your whiteness? And then one, the next morning you woke up black. And now you want to cash in on that policy. Like, I need that $20 million. And that's where he stopped. And I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. If that's true, then yeah. what else? What else are you going to do now that you're you're a black person? It's with a white person trapped inside him with $20 million. What are you doing next? And so that, that that's the note I gave him. Yeah, I, I give that note all the time. Like, I was listening to a comic tell a story last night about how uh, she, she talked about this experience of how this person sh- shitted on the dance floor at, at, at this party or whatever and then funny it, she told it punchline and moved on I said whoa, 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 whoa what happened to that person like <laughs> he's like oh i don't know i was like no 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 make that shit up like right she and uh, we, we punched it up to where it's like she looked at the floor and was like oh my god security because she's like she's the person was drunk someone shit on the floor and it's like we like, like yeah let's make this journey how do you go home after that do you still sit in somebody's uber after you like, you know, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, if this is true, then what else is it? I, I, I go by that very d- diligently. Yeah, that's, that's such a great note. And such, yeah, I think as younger, as a younger writer and all younger writers, we're always struggling. Like we might write um, a really good one-liner mm-hmm. and we, we get, we get the, the germ or the, the start, the spark of a joke. But we, what we really want is that to turn into like a three minute to five minute chunk on the topic and that's how you i guess that's kind of one of the main ways you can get there to really like a similar note one of my um kind of mentors always said if you can get if you get one laugh out of something you can get three laughs out of something and so like find those other laughs and i think that's what a great tip and encouragement is if you have something that's working on stage don't let it stop with that laugh what where else can you go with that bit you know even if it's just a one-liner Milk the fuck out of everything. I tell people every time they tell a sentence, there is a joke in there. Somewhere there's somewhere, like when you listen to some comics and they just like constant laughter. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, 
fuck, I'm not great at it by any means, but I do realize I'm like, oh, there's something more that I could say here. I raised my son as a kid. There's something funny just in that sentence right there. So I can squeeze that out. I can sit there and be like, my son's 18 and I still look like I could go to college. Like, so okay, <laughs> where can we connect with people on this shit? Because you just said a sentence that people are, I, and I go off of facial reactions. Like when I tell people I got an 18 year old, you see a lot of people like, you do, you see people like, what? Eight? How old are you? So then I, I, I wrote something because I saw that for so many times. I'm like, I know y'all looking at me like, Black don't crack, divided by two. Listen, he got a six, 18. Oh, shit, this black guy is 63 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I write for responses. And, I, you know, a lot of comics do that, too. It was like, what do you do for a living? They already have a joke for what they do for a living or if they are quiet. They, they got... You write your, a lot of comics that I know that are, you know uh, they will write for the yes or no's of like you drink Pepsi yes da 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 you drink Pepsi no see something wrong then da 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 they got to answer for everything so I mean you yeah yeah that's fun and that crowd interaction do do you do a lot of uh, crowd work in your in your typical set is that a big part of your show I do a lot of crowd work and not just crowd work. I, I do what I like to, I guess, uh, probably just call this. I'm about to say like what I like to call is if I made this shit up, like I do a lot of crowd connection. So I got an eight back. I got a baby mama. She's a stud. Have you ever had sex with a stud, sir? You know, I'll ask, I'll ask them. And they're like, you know, most of them, no, 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 no. Well, it wasn't until my baby mama, like, she made me realize that chivalry wasn't dead. Like, this, that's what it's like dating. <laughs> for, for the three years that me and her dated, I thought that women were supposed to open doors for men. Like, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had, has this lady over here ever opened the door for you? Like, see, see? Yeah. The pros and cons. <laughs> You find that I I feel like maybe um, sometimes in a colder room where the the crowd isn't quite broken and isn't loving like bar shows where maybe people didn't even know there was going to be comedy that night. Finding yeah. those connections and finding a way to make your joke super relevant to people in the crowd like it brings the audience in, right? You know. Yeah. Maybe I've seen a couple hosts just like like the comedy cellar or something like that. The host comes out and just peppers the room with uh, observations about everyone, and so that when the first comic comes up, everyone has been addressed. Everyone's been seen and, and, and talked to a little bit. And they're just, it makes them more ready to receive the comedy, I guess. It's just, that's what it seems like a good strategy to just really make your set strong. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent on that. So next question, when you're, you're prepping for a set, uh, do you do set lists? How, how do you prepare for, for a set showcase type thing? I have people that come to my shows because they like, even though we've heard your jokes several times, Willie, you always say it differently. I do not, I, I try to have a set list. Like I'll write down what I want to say, but then I get on there either A, I forgot my list or I, I did a TV taping and they, uh, I did a TV taping. And one way they do a lot of these TV tapings, if people that are just listening don't know, is they'll put your set list behind like the TV so you know where you're going. Like they'll have all the camera angles, but then, then there's a screen just for you to refer and they want you to send it to them in, ahead of time so they can track it. 
I had this person. Uh, I felt so bad because they was like scrolling because they was like, <laughs> "We never said this. This isn't even a part of this. This why is he telling this joke now? It's down here. It's supposed to be." <laughs> I was all over the place. So I would love. I bet having a set list is very helpful. <laughs> I, I end up ranting. I end up finding something different. I'll go up there with a set list, but then I'll hear what some comics were talking about earlier and now i feel like i gotta address what they are saying if if they if they say this or there's a couple audience members like there's probably in that uh one that you were uh looking at where my stand-up i was talking about this guy that wasn't laughing at anybody in this audience in this mm-hmm. clip and i was like dude well why are you like you know i now i gotta address this and you know so but uh I have an idea of where I want to go. I know the stories that I want to talk about. Where will they go and how will it go? It, it, it changes because sometimes you're up there and they don't want to hear half the shit you got to say. I'm over talking about how my son was almost aborted or whatever. And now you have people like, boo, like that's fucked up or whatever. Now it's like, okay, so now I got to change this whole structure. So it's very loose. I have an idea and then I now I need to address this person. Like, what's okay? So da 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 da. da. And I always kind of get people back on my side by playing the victim, by playing. Yes. The I'm like, look, I, when that person booed me or like, eh, pro life, whatever. I was like, uh, I was 15 when I found out that I was having a kid. And now you get people to kind of like, oh. You feel like what would you have done at fifteen? I got a spanking for spilling ketchup <laughs> on my nice white shirt. Could you imagine telling your dad at fifteen? Hey, man, <laughs> funny thing, Erica's pregnant. And he's like, "How?" And it's like she's still a woman, dad. No matter how studly she is. <laughs> so now you started. We got to wean them back on by playing. Like, why would you laugh at me by me sitting here telling you my story? That's fucked up for you to sit mm-hmm. here and judge me on. Now it's now that person's like, yeah. So yeah. Well, we definitely. We, I think we've all probably seen new comics um, just stick so rigidly to their set and material and just bomb harder and harder. And the more experienced ones know it does. Kind of feel sometimes that you the audience doesn't want material some nights they don't they're not vibing with it you got to find another path mm-hmm. to, to success yeah yeah i've been in that before where i just talked to them i mean i still was able to put some of my jokes in there but it was just more of a conversation like and it's starting to become a little bit more popular now especially when you watch a lot of dave Chappelle's new stuff he's just talking there's there's some jokes in there but it's actually really deep and it's really like insightful and when you and people can feel like they can take something away from what you're doing, either they take away a laugh or they're going to take away something like, oh, I never thought of that. Like I have a joke. It's not the best joke, but it's a joke that I do. where I talk about I, know, I wear glasses because I know it makes me look safe. If I take my glasses off, look like this, look like an angry black person. I keep my glass, put the glasses on the same face. And I look like I'm thinking about something. <laughs> but at the same time, I get people hit me up after the, after the show. It was like. I never thought about that. That's that's actually kind of sad that you got to that you wear glasses because you know how it makes you look. And then, but I'll keep on going with that. And so when you start giving people a lesson and you're talking about, it, they're not gonna either. Inter- Some of them might interrupt you, but it's very rare. But they they laugh 
or information and you can kind of you can kind of just vibe off that for a while absolutely i think it was dave Chappelle one way or another so you don't have to be funny but you do have to be interesting i don't know if that's mm. paraphrasing but that that's something that's always stuck with me uh but if somebody calls you they're like hey where are the jokes make sure you got something to give him back because that guy can win real quick if you're not prepared for that if you're just yeah going, yeah where are the jokes? jokes this is a fucking comedy club Shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a dead talk or something What's yeah. <laughs> uh the, the last question before we queue up the, your clip uh is uh what are you doing moments before you get on stage uh is there any rituals or anything you're doing right before you get up i have really bad stage fright I, I'm the guy that got hey, the shit. I throw up. I cry. I have cried before I go up. I have, I, I'm just, because every time I'm like, it's a new audience, like my boy or whoever be with me, they'll be like, dude, you know you're going to do fine. I'm like, I don't know. This is a whole new audience. I don't, and I, and I, my anxiety goes through the roof. But as soon as I hear Willie Mac, somehow something just clicks. Like, like something's like, all right, Willie, I'm taking over. <laughs> it's true i think sometimes one of the beautiful things about comedy is that you're not yourself you are kind of a different version of yourself on stage yeah Uh, yeah, that's that's great true yeah yeah i show up to show sometimes i'm just exhausted and i'm like but then the part of me just knows like you just said as soon as they say my name i've got the energy uh, there there it is and uh and the anxiety too, man, especially for larger crowds. That that's more new people that never met me before. Uh, so I'm with you. This the, the clip that we picked out is a new faces deal at the Laugh Factory. Do you remember 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 this set? Or uh, yeah, yeah. About this? yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this set. Anything specific about that day you recall? This was like my first time performing at the Laugh Factory. I've been hanging out up there. It was one of those moments like I was like they have like the Laugh Factory has a uh, open mic that starts at 7 p.m. And um, to the first 10 people are guaranteed to go up. The next 10 people are in a lottery. So if you want to be part of the first 10, you had to get up there at like 12 o'clock and wait Whoa. like those six it. hours. And it's like, there's always those comics that be like, fuck. Like, they come with chairs, they bring in lunches, they got books, and we was doing this every Tuesday. Now, then there's people behind, now this line has gotten longer because they just hoping they get that name picked out of the hat. So I was I was doing that for a while. Now, never got really done, I never actually did a show there i've done like a couple open mics but i didn't want to stand in that line and that's how you kind of get on new faces like some of the people all of that i signed with the uh, three arts entertainment it's a really big uh management company out he's like you ever done laugh factory i said no he's like oh this motherfucker made a call and i was on new faces within like a couple of weeks i'm like you know how know how many fucking hours i have sat in this damn line trying to get my name picked out of this fucking hat and all you yeah. have i was like this business is something else this business is all about who you know and while i say that well a lot of young comics what i did to became to become one of those folks that you know is i knew i read a book dale carnegie how to win friends and influence. Yeah. Read it. I always tell people to read that book. I always tell people to read The Alchemist 
And then, you know, we got the Judy Carters of the that we got to tell folks to read as well. But yeah. I was like, okay, when friends influence people. So when I was going to open mic, I would go to the 99 cent store and buy a bottle of wine. And I would go, you know, for four, three, four dollar wine bottle, and I get some cups, and at every open mic, I would pour myself a glass and be like, hey, anybody else want some? Oh, I'll take some. So now I'm I have some wine. I, I, I don't do vodka. Don't I, I drink all of this other shit? But all, but some of these other places like uh, the open mic get the cheap bottle of wine because no one ever really knows. People only look at either the year or they either know it's either a cab or a uh, Chardonnay, you know, whatever. So and I, so it makes you look classier when you bring wine. If I would have brought a whole like. Whiskey by that, like, oh fuck, Willie, you trying to turn up? But you don't know why you just sitting there, you in the open mic right now. I got my legs curled, so you, you can't see it. <laughs> so you're over there, oh, Willie Mac. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure y'all get some wine. So now people are starting to invite me to shows because I'm just become that cool person that they can like, like, oh, Willie, dope man. He, you know, he drink wine sometimes. Uh, blah blah blah. Or what I did because what got me into photography is I would tell. uh Comedians that had shows, I'm like, hey, who's shooting your show? Oh, we don't have nobody. I'll shoot your show, but in exchange, I want, I want, I want to be in on one of your shows. I'm not just a photographer, but I'll give you pictures. So that's how I started becoming, getting on more and more shows. Then they find out who I am. It's like, oh, he's funny and he stays working and blah 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 blah. So. Yeah. So who you know, industry. I got the phone call for Fresh Faces. And now I got my podcast called it's called Afro Noodles at the Laugh Factory Podcast Network because of my manager making that call to get me on that show that I've been sitting outside for fucking years at the open mic. And uh, this is the night that I finally was able to perform. Excellent. I'm going I'm to go ahead and roll that clip. Stick around. This is for you all. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to be cool. You know, you know what it is? My son will turn 17 years old next week. Yeah. I started extremely early. Like <laughs> when I was graduating high school, my son was graduating preschool. Like that's how young of a dad I am. Like we mutually decided to have our graduation party together at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Group decision. I was a young dad. I was like, Here's how young of a dad I am. Like, I remember my son ran into my room. He was probably three at this time. It was like 2 a.m. He screamed, Dad, 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 there's a monster in my room. There's a monster in my room. And I remember getting mad at my son because I thought he was bringing the monster into my room. <laughs> Go back to your room, Malcolm. The monster wants you. It's something that I said as a father. <laughs> and he's just like, do something, Dad, do something. And I was like, all right. So I picked my son up, I put him on my shoulder, and I ran into my dad's room like, Dad, there's a monster in our room, there's a monster in our room. <laughs> I live an interesting life. Cause my story gets more interesting. I knocked up a lesbian who wanted to try out men. Oh yeah, that's what happened in high school. And now she's full on butch. Like the baggy pants, the Timbo boots, like the flannel with the low cut, like that's my baby mama. I knocked up a more masculine version of myself. <laughs> like when we're out in public, we look like a gay couple that adopted a child. 
and I don't look like the top in this gay relationship that I'm in. <laughs> oh God, my life is fucking crazy. It is. And I had to explain this to my son. Because to my son, he doesn't see lesbian. He doesn't see butch. He's like, this is mom, your dad. Why aren't you, why are you all not together anymore? Because like, she's my best friend. She's my homie. Like, I knocked the homie up, like, which is weird to say out loud, but I did. And so I told my son, I was like, Malcolm, you know, me and your mom, we just happen to like the same gender. He said, what, dad? I was like, yeah, this is the first time he heard this. He's like, I knew it, dad, I knew it. And I was like, really, Malcolm? What is it that you knew? He was like, that you and mom both like men. <laughs> Wait, you think I'm the gay one? <laughs> I was like, no, Malcolm, what did I do that made you think that I was gay? He's like, I can see two cords in your left pocket right there. Like, <laughs> Here's what it was that made my son think that I was gay. So my son who follows me on Facebook, a few years ago I didn't know that the eggplant emoji stood for, for, for dick. I'm be honest with y'all. And I made a post on Facebook that said, I had eggplant for the first time last night and really enjoyed it. It was life changing. So in my son's head, he reads, I had dick for the first time last night. But some think I got life-changing dick out there and then like the status. <laughs> but my son doesn't respect me as a father. He doesn't, because I'm such a young dad. And here's how I knew my son didn't respect me as a father. So a couple months ago, I busted my son's room and I caught my son watching porn. And I jumped in there like, Malcolm! He freezes, ha, 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 slams his laptop shut. He looks up and says, oh man, I thought you was mama lifts the laptop back up and continues to watch the porno. And I was like, Malcolm, why are you not tripping? I just caught you watching porn. He's like, Dad, it's Big Booties 3. I said, nigga, they came out with a third. <laughs> all right, y'all, I'm Willie Mack. Thank you all for listening. All right, man, great stuff. That's so good. I, I write so much. I think, and Brian too. We write so much uh, biographical kind of comedy that I just appreciate that so much. I, I love the idea that you can get to know someone through their comedy act, and it's not just mm -hmm. a bunch of fluff and and just impersonal jokes. I love that. After I watch your set, I kind of know who Willie Mac is, and I feel yeah. I, I feel more connected to you because I know your story. I I love comics and comedy like that, and uh, thanks for sharing and. You didn't hear it, but if you the the callback in there was the the skinny jeans, right, with the quarters in yeah. your pocket. It wasn't yeah. if you're confused about that callback. It's uh, the skinny jeans. Your, your jeans are so tight, you can see what year the quarters were in your pockets. <laughs> it, it is because people ask about that. Like when they posted that, people was like, "What's up with this fifty cents?" Like there's another. Like they posted it on the Laugh Factory Instagram page, just that part of the joke. <laughs> it's like. I, <laughs> you need the setup for the callback there. Yeah, you need the setup for the callback, Laugh Factory. <laughs> did you does that? Did you start writing that biographical kind of stuff? Was that was that right off the bat? Kind of where the comedy uh, started, or did you try some other stuff first and then land there? So it, it it landed there. I have an idea in my head of what I want ten years from now. 
were within 10 years. I want a TV show based on my life. So the best way that I planned to do that was to get people interested in my life. And that's how I ended up at a three or by telling that joke right there at the comedy store. And uh, they was like, do you have a script about your life? I'm like, yeah, I got a script about my life. I didn't have a script about my life. I didn't have somebody to write it real quick. And uh, I mean, I helped I helped them, but I, I wasn't like a writer, writer yet. Yeah. So uh, I showed them this. They're like, somebody's going to want to know about, like, they're going to want to pitch your life. Like, I want something that people will remember me by. One thing I learned about Bernie Mac and the Bernie Mac show was based off his stand-up. Steve Harvey, or his show was based off his life. Then uh, Tim Allen, his, that uh, home improvement was based off that joke that he had about uh, finding what was. It? Do y'all know that joke that he had about going shopping, men shopping at Sears or something like that? That's right. how he got his show. Tim Allen didn't have a he was he didn't have a traveling set by the time he had his show. He wasn't like one of those big touring comics or anything like that. So I was like. I felt more comfortable writing that way. There's some great people that out there write one-liner jokes. Mwah. They write jokes about what they've seen in the news. Mwah. I mean, congrats <laughs> to all of that. I got a couple of them. But uh, my my bread and butter was to talk about what I know and what I feel at the moment and what I'm struggling with because either people in the audience are parents, want to be parents, and I write my jokes very female-friendly. So that these, because so females are the ones that are either going to support you, they're going to be the ones who come to your shows, they're the ones that's being brought on a date to your show. So if you can write for them, then you can, uh, you know, you can kind of thrive in a sense. And I even work with female comics, like those are who I write with the most, so I can say the right thing or do it that way. And then I put my own little man spin on. <laughs> well, yeah. you, you, uh, you mentioned, uh, I do a lot of stuff about my kids too. And, uh, and, and certainly, you know, not everybody has children, but everybody was once a kid. And, uh, and you did a great job with your joke uh, when you're with the, with the monster, because you, you use your son's voice and that was his voice. And then when you go into the room, you use the same voice as you talking to your dad. And that, that's what really connected it for me and really brought that joke home, in my opinion. Uh, so that's great. And then when you talked about women, uh, you couldn't just come out and just start doing those butch lesbian jokes. You'd get killed. You'd be murdered. So uh, you, you're able to, to do it because this is your story. And you're like, look how stupid I am. Like, this is the thing. You know, it's the self-deprecating angle. And if you do it that way, you can get into whatever damn topic, nearly any topic you want to, as long as you're yeah. the yeah. yeah. So that was that. That's very important for me with the way that I write write it that way. Like I, I, I write my jokes, and how can someone have a conversation off of this? Eggplant emoji. Eggplant emoji is a is a is a is a, is a favorite of people because. I wrote that because I, I knew what an eggplant emoji was, but I never really tripped off of it. Cause you know, you get like, I was like, how can I make this? Cause what really happened, the truth behind this whole story, the my before the leveling up was uh, my son when he was a kid would ask, hey dad, why won't you and mom get back together? Because y'all are friends. <laughs> and then it always made me laugh because I was like, Cause your mama's gay boy, <laughs> mama is a lesbian, but you can never tell a kid that. So 
he never seen me with women. So I was like, I wonder if my son thinks that I don't. <laughs> and then when he found out, because she ends up telling him, and because I, because I I, 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 I actually ended up telling him that his mom was gay, because I didn't know that he didn't know. I had zero idea that he didn't know that his mom was, because now he's like maybe like 12, 13 when he's asking. I'm like, Malcolm, you know your mom likes women. No, she doesn't. I was like, oh, I called Erica. I said, hey, hey, hey E, uh, Malcolm, you never told Malcolm that you're, that you're a lesbian? No, he's too young. I'm like, well, he knows now. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, <I> <laughs> so, I, I get that. So from there, I was like, what if my son thought that I was the gay one this entire time versus yeah. his mom? And I was like, how could he think that I was gay? And I was like, what What are some things that I could do that would really resonate with a kid? And I was like, emojis have been over-sexualized a lot. Yeah. Oh, what if I, I post about having an eggplant emoji and my son sees it and that's how, mm -hmm. then boom, that that's how I leveled up on there. So by me either, and playing the victim and I, I can squeeze in an extra joke about having a lesbian baby mama that I could probably use later. And so I keep on writing in, in, in that sense. Yeah, that's great, man. That's so fun. Man. Even just those couple of minutes, man, you can just, you get so much of your story in such a, a compact way. It's, it's, it's really great, tight writing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's, but now I'm, I'm expanding my jokes because one thing that I learned are just even for me, um, so I'm now, I remember two, was it two years ago? Maybe like two, three years ago, I started going on the road. And one thing about Los Angeles, you're not doing more than seven, 10 minutes on a set. Yeah. You're not, there's not a place out here. Cause it, those are, and even like headliners, like, like big names are only doing like 15, maybe 30. Mm -hmm. So I, um, uh, was asked to go on the road, do this casino tour. And they're like, you got to have 30 minutes. And I was like, huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I ain't got 30 minutes. I got, I got a good, I got a hard 10, 15. And I was like, so I was like, fuck it. And I forced myself. I was going to open mics two, three times a night. And I was forcing myself to write new material. So I get my 30. I'm good at my 30, right? I get there, I do do the casino thing, boom, boom. Then uh, I was asked to headline at the Orpheum Theater in Flagstaff. I was like, all right, how much time y'all want? And they was like, well, you know, we're looking for a headliner. You're headlining, so at least an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it took me five years <laughs> to get yeah. 10. It took me another year to get 30. I'm like, what? And I'm like, the show's in a few months. And so as I started watching a lot of comedians, especially the ones that I look up to, the, the, the Richard Pryors, the, the, the Bernie Macs, and some of these other folks, they, they talk to the audience for a while, build up this trust. They build, this, they build mm -hmm. and release a lot. They build and release. That's, how, that's why we can listen to Dave Chappelle's thing and only laugh three times in that whole 20-minute thing that he threw on YouTube. He built it up, built it up this entire time. And even though a lot of people felt the way about that, uh, the, the story, he's very colorful, man. God, he's, I don't even want to talk about how dope he is. We, we, all, we all know he's a, he's a mad fucking genius. But some people don't want to laugh for a whole hour because that shit starts to hurt. 
<laughs> it's like it's good that you can do that but sometimes they just want to hear something then laugh so i started expanding my jokes i started talking about if i'm talking about like yeah and i told my son da 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 about his shirt i will end up going I, okay i bought my son some uh converse and he went outside and uh he took the converse and started scraping it against the concrete true story he's and I'm like, Malcolm, what the fuck are you doing? He was like, they're too clean. I will be made fun of in school for having too clean shoes. They need to look distressed. This is what he said. I mean, I knew distress was a thing, but I didn't know they was purposely distressing stuff. I'm like, motherfucker, we could have went to the Goodwill and had a had a <laughs> like. So I now will take that bit. I'm like, so that's the true story. Now I will take that bit. Like, could you imagine the person that's sitting there? in this child factory in China. You know, I'll go there a little bit. And this little kid is putting this together, sold it perfectly just for this little motherfucker to just rip this shit to shreds. Do you think that person is going crazy right now if they knew that there was this kid? <laughs> and so then I'll take that piece. I'm like, it's it, this is this is this is a cotton fiber. My, then I'll go. I'll put some history in, and I'm like, my people pick this yeah. cotton, go do this to do that for this little motherfucker. Did they not know it's Mount? <laughs> so I, I build my stories that way, and then I'm like, you do listen. Do you agree with me or not? I'm talking to someone, and so I like I, I put some thoughts into it and just make it a conversation. I know where I want to tell a joke and all of that. So. Mm, that's great. That's a great tip for like the intermediate level of, Hey, I got a strong 10, 15. How do I turn that into a 30? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's my process. That's awesome. a, I, I mean, I, I took away a ton from this talk today as far as how I can write. Uh, I mean, some of the, some of the ideas as far as leveling up your jokes or maybe punching up is, is the way we look at it. Uh, if that's true. Then what else is true? Mm, I mean, so, uh, and as I, I kind of round the corner into looking at 30 minutes, I'm kind of at that 30 minute set that you're building now. I'm, I'm ready to start building those sets out. All this stuff is super helpful, man. So thank you for sharing uh, your process with us. Uh, the last thing we're going to put you under is it's called Last Laugh. Okay. And it's a little bit morbid. So bear with us. We got a little graphic here we're going to play and we'll get into it. It's so weird. I know. All right. So, <laughs> so the, the question is, uh, it's your comedy legacy, man. It can be your joke, it can be Bernie Mac's joke, somebody else's joke. Uh, what is the joke that you want to have on your tombstone to be remembered by? Uh, I don't know if it's a joke, but I would like to say he died with his glasses off because he had his glasses off. <laughs> ah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a joke. People will always remember. I get people to ask me, like, do the glasses bit? Do the glasses bit? <laughs> if I don't do the glasses, it's interesting. Like, they're, they're treating comedy sometimes now like rock stars. Like, they want, they're requesting certain jokes from us. Like, there's this time where if you said the joke and you circle back around, you're a hat comic. But now they're like, hey, do the do this joke. Do the joke. I brought this person to do that joke right there. And, and this is the last thing I let go because I always also thought because like on my TikTok, some of my jokes got millions of views and I was like, fuck, I'm not going to be able to do this joke again. But then I had to remember the number number wise out of this mil, out of this million people 
only that's like maybe like a thousand per state and then across the country like half these people have never heard this joke so feel free to do some of these jokes that might have you've done for a couple times over and you're like oh i've done it so many times everybody ain't seen that shit and it's still i laugh i still listen to chris rock old stuff this shit still makes me laugh so yeah yeah, people are weird. The comics are weird about putting their their jokes out there on the internet online. I'm like, no, 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 do it, man. Like they're worried that people are gonna see it. Like nobody's gonna fuck. Nobody's gonna see it. No, nobody's gonna see it. You're okay. I swear, I had that conversation with my friend because I was like, yeah. hey, man, they, they want to tape and they're gonna throw it on YouTube. He's like, no, nah, they get about fifty thousand views. I don't want people to have seen my joke. I'm like, that's over. Do it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw this up there because I'm listening. Afro Noodles, Willie Mack, and it looks like Danny Plom. So that's one place. Uh, you get the HGTV thing coming out. Anything else that, that we can look for, where to follow you, where to find you for, for our listeners? Yeah, everybody just follow me. Uh, Willie Mack, this uh, W-I-L-L-I-E-M-A-C-C on all social medias. Uh, I got a couple things in the works. So, But right now what's solidified is the Afro Noodles podcast on Laugh Factory uh, Network. And then, yes, HGTV 2022. So keep an eye out for me. I'll be the only black person on HGTV. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <playing> missing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for the time today. Wonderful conversation. A lot of great nuggets. Um, uh, I think uh, hopefully everyone else will get as much out of it as we did. Great conversation today. Hey, I appreciate it. Y'all take care. All right. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.